Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. It's already done. It's the Pressure Points Unpacked Podcast with host Tyra Little. We're live Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. This show deals with personal and community issues by getting to the root cause and causes on an open and raw level. We're unpacking emotional, spiritual, mental, and physical topics that influence and often control us. Get ready to unload, examine, and process. Let's get unpacked. On Never Handed So Good Sports Media Network, Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Well, hello, and welcome to Pressure Points Unpacked. I'm your host, Tyra Little, and today we're going to be talking about the prison system. I have with me today uh, Minister Denise Walden, as well as the mental health professional for this month, Mr. James Bingley. So I want to start off with you, Denise. Thank you both for being here. Um, I definitely appreciate you guys for taking time out of your busy schedule because I know both of you are very busy. Um, And, Denise, I want to give you an opportunity to tell everyone something about yourself. Wow. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here with you today, and I also – feel like this is a very important conversation to be having and certainly something that should be unpacked. A little something about myself. While I'm a New England girl that finds herself living in the very snowy and cold Buffalo, New York, um, I am obviously a woman of faith, but most proudly uh, I'm a mama and I love my babies and they are the motivation behind all that I do. Um, in addition to my clergy role, I am proud to be an organizer in Western New York who organizes around mass incarceration and racial justice and equity. It's work that I am extremely passionate about and impacted by, and I fight every day to be the change that I want to see, but I do it from a restorative and a healing lens. So thank you, Tara, for having me, and I'm happy to be here with you today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Mr. Bingley. Hello. Uh, To piggyback that, thank you for having me. Um, It's a pleasure to be part of this. Uh, Currently, I'm a probation and parole supervisor down here in Charleston, South Carolina. I'm a lifelong resident of Charleston, Um, father of three, a mentor in the community, a coach, motivational speaker. Uh, My motivational speaking business is called Speaking Life. And I chose that title because I, I believe in speaking life into people and not, not <laughs> death. I mean, it's so many times, you know, we encounter individuals who want to tell us the negative about us versus putting positive in us. So I made it my life's work to speak life into people. Uh, most people question that being the profession I chose, but I chose to take on the enemy from the inside. Mm. You know, if I want to make change, I, think I better attack it from the inside. So I want to be part of the change when I understand what's actually taking place. So my life work, my mission is if I can help someone along the way, then my living will not be in vain. So that's the model I live by. Amen. Amen. Ooh, that is powerful. Both both of you. Um, and so, Denise, I know that you are, I know you're definitely passionate. I have, I've had the opportunity um, to visit Buffalo and to do some press coverage on the holding facility there. Um, And that's when we had the opportunity to meet. So um, I want you to open up about what was going on um, at that time. That was just a couple of of months ago, actually. Yes, 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 it was. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And so for those who may not know, um, Buffalo and Erie County houses two of the most dangerous um, jails in all of New York State. Keep in mind the correctional facilities that are in New York State, and in Buffalo and Erie County we house two of the most dangerous, um, and not because it's maximum security facilities, but because of the number of deaths, brutality, um, and misconduct that we see in our facilities. In Buffalo, um, under the tenure of Sheriff Howard, which he was uh, the elected sheriff for 16 years here in Buffalo and Erie County, and there were 34 deaths in our local holding center. Keep in mind that these are individuals who have not been convicted of anything. They have not even been tried. They are simply being held. Not that it makes it any different had they been convicted of anything, right? Um, and the majority of the deaths were due to medical neglect. Sheriff Howard is a known neo-Nazi who has um, constantly expressed his racist remarks at Klan rallies here locally. Um, and it's, it's, it's been a very traumatic experience for our city. And it's been unfortunate because in this county, we have not been able to get enough voters turnout in 16 years to get them out. And so this year was the year that he decided he was no longer going to be in office. And um, even with a strong get-out-the-vote campaign, even with the efforts of registering and turning out formerly incarcerated persons and getting the votes of currently incarcerated persons, unfortunately, we have yet another white supremacist in our sheriff's office whom has gone on record saying that he believes in things like solitary confinement because he believes that when inmates um, misbehave, they should be punished, right? Um, They have made outrageous comments here, and it's sad because, again, I think Buffalo is number two, and then Alden is our other facility, and it's number three on the worst grant facilities in the state. Wow. Okay, so, so wait a minute, because when I was there, now there was there was someone else that was running at that time. So now what? What happened? So again, um, this was the year that Howard decided he was going to retire, um, and this is who he backed as his successor. And unfortunately, this this individual was able to get the vote. He, um, now that he's taken office, he has also put an executive team around himself of like-minded individuals that are also well-known and associated with white supremacist groups. Um, It's outrageous. I don't think it speaks to the desires of the people, but if you know Erie County, Erie County is a red county, and it's unfortunate because the issues that we're seeing in these facilities, um, the suburbs as an inner city problem. They feel like it doesn't impact them. It doesn't reach them. Although the 33rd death in the holding center was a young white male who had been detained for a probation violation. And yet still, they just don't see it as their problem. And so they do not tend to turn out and vote in the sheriff's race. Wow. Wow, so that that race took a whole different turn. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think part of and and one of the the most frustrating things is this is a holding facility, you you guys. This this is a holding facility. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have this type of number of deaths. I mean, and. Regardless if it's a holding holding center or if it's an actual jail, um, we shouldn't be having these type of numbers. Definitely I mean, not. And I also want to acknowledge, like, our facilities have been under the supervision of the Department of Justice for 10 years due to lawsuits that were brought against them. Um, even with the recommendations of the Department of Justice, and the facilities and the management of the facilities 
refusing to implement those suggestions when the 10-year term was up, we ended up under investigation by the Attorney General's office because of sexual trauma and molestation that was happening in our facilities and the misuse of company um, or county uh, services and vehicles um, and the database had been misused and used for personal use and yet still um, they're just they're 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 not operating with integrity they're not being accountable and for those who don't know sheriff's departments have a ton of autonomy and very little accountability and it is very hard to track the chain of command for a sheriff's department But, I mean, when you have the Department of Justice in here, I, I'm not understanding. How is it, how do you get to say, well, no, you're not going to implement what they are telling you to do or what they're suggesting for you to do? How, I mean, I, I don't understand that. Mr. Bingley, could you help me with that? that? Well, that's what she just said. I mean, the sheriff has a lot of power. You know, people don't understand that. And actually commits a crime. The only person that can arrest the sheriff is the coroner. You know, and and it's it's a political system that's that's broken. It's really broken. And when you give a person that much power, you, you know, uh, failure will soon follow. And that's typically what happens. You know, here in Charleston, we had a sheriff that just lost re-election after being the sheriff for over 40 years. So we're talking about a period where times have changed, people have changed, but his thought process was the same. You know, mm-hmm. he had SWAT teams within the jail. You know, uh, you know, SWAT teams shouldn't not, not needed for a jail. You know, no one's guilty yet, as she stated earlier. You know, it's a holding facility for those who have who have been believed to have broken the law, and they had systems where they wanted SWAT teams, but they didn't have the mental health uh, officials in the in the facility. So you want to enforce violence, <sighs> but you had no one there to cure their mind. So. You know, she was absolutely correct in stating that the powers, the powers is in the hands of the sheriff, and no one's checking the sheriff in regards to the power. Is because if someone believes they're safe, then they're okay with whatever the sheriff does. That's just how it is. Your neighborhood feels safe, then I'm okay with what happens. My Lord, we have got work to do. I mean, because. Laws need to be changed. For one, I I am a a stickler of I feel like no one should have a seat that they are able to sit in. If the president can't have more than eight years, why is it that we allow all of these other offices to have way more time and you just get in here forever? That's just like, for instance, Strong Thurmond. I mean, my God, the man was there. I mean, I remember going to take a picture with him in eighth grade and People who were way older than me, they took a picture when they went to D.C. in eighth grade. I mean, what what is going on? I mean, we 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 need to. Oh my God, no one should have that much power, for one. But to have that much power, and you talking about the years with it, this is ridiculous. They feel like they're invincible. You was actually in power so long. What's that narrative in our lives? No, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, so he was actually in power so long here in Charleston that they named the jail after him. So he was working in a facility that was named after him. Until recently, he was defeated in, in an election, actually by a female. So we have a female sheriff here in Charleston County now who's, who uh, wants to change the narrative mm-hmm. about the prison system, but she has a lot of work to do. Uh, because it's a good old boy system, and just because you remove the head, you know, he has a lot of body parts still moving around that's going to give her opposition as to anything she tries to put in. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and when you have people that are voted in, and I've said this before on the show, we cannot vote people in and then just leave them. Mm -hmm. You know, we as constituents still have a job to do. The job is just beginning. After after you get them in, the job now really kicks in. We have a responsibility, and I think so many times we look at it as if, well, okay, I went out and I voted, but that's it. 
It's so much more than mm-hmm. that. You know, ask what is it that I can do to help you to help to, to help you with your job? What what is it that what what from me? You know, do I need to get some people together? What is it that how can we support you? Because it is so needed. It is so needed. And I think that's one of the major problems when it comes to political offices. You know? We get them in and we just throw our hands up and just feel like they're supposed to be able to do everything. And we're forgetting that this is just this one person. And they're human beings, right? And all human beings need accountability because when we are not held accountable and you're in a position that comes with a level of authority, right, or um, I often say, like, elected elected officials, I don't consider them to be people of power, but I consider them to be people of influence. And when you get a, a, a title that comes with influence and authority and nobody is holding you accountable, that is a lot for a person, a human being to hold. And I think that's part of what is my job as an organizer and other folks who do grassroots community organizing is, A, it's rehumanizing all of it, right? The individuals mm-hmm. who are in the carceral system are human beings just like you and I. That's right. Right? They, and That's they right. should be allowed the same rights, the same, the same human respect and necessity as the rest of us. And individuals who are elected officials are appointed into government positions are also human beings, all needing accountability, all deserving of respect when they carry themselves in a respectful way. And when they don't, they should be called out and they should be held accountable and they should know that they need to answer to the folks that they say that they serve. And that's just, for me, that's just kind of like the bottom line of it all. And the problem is there's this separation of or this hierarchy in how we view humans. So if you're in the mm-hmm. partial system because you've broken the law, you are seen as less than or worse than. And if you're in an elected position, you're seen as better than or powerful and therefore you shouldn't have to be um, checked or questioned or pushed back on. Neither of those positions are right or right, in my opinion. Absolutely. Absolutely. It sounded like you wanted to say something, James. Yeah, I was piggybacking. Political positions like that are facade. I mean, just look at the position of the president of the United States. You, you've never seen a single president. Why? Because single seems to be vulnerable. Single seems to mean uh, you can't make decisions. You know, not, you, so every president had a mate. Every president had someone to come out there that's supposed to assist them and appear to make them stronger. Um, mm-hmm. But here, when you're talking about legal positions here in, 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 in law enforcement, like a sheriff, a sheriff is powerful. And without checks and balances, that it means everything I do is correct because no one's checking that's like a, whatever we do. We do anything we want to do, and no one tells us we're doing wrong, then everything we do is correct. And, and that's how it is for a sheriff because no one wants to speak out on them in regards to certain things because you don't know who you're speaking to and how we'll get back to an individual and they come across as something that I'm trying to undermine the, the political system. I'm trying to undermine a law enforcement system, and now I won't be promoted. Now I'm blackballed. Mm-hmm. Now I'm just working in, 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 in areas where, the chances of survival are very, very low. And so, you know, a lot of people don't want to speak out on uh, and against sheriffs because it's, 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 it's a death sentence for your career if you decide to stay in law enforcement. Oh, boy. <laughs> Man. This is so this, – this is weighty. This, this is really weighty. Um, it, it's, it's unfortunate because, I mean, it goes back to even what you've already said, Denise, as to how it's like when people get locked up, it's just the way that they are viewed. And so I think because of the way that they are viewed, um, people don't don't get involved. I mean, you, you don't have you don't have people really being concerned enough to say, hey, we need to make some changes in the law here. I mean, this is just—it's—it's it's so disheartening it's to me. It is. It is. It's—it's it's heartbreaking. 
Because I know we're not the only people, right, we're not the only people that feel like this. And you have so many different other organizations. I mean, I know you can speak to this, but both of you all can speak to this, you know, that are trying, but we, um, man, I hate when, when, when I get on here and it just, it gets me like this. It stuns me because it's like, man, what what are we going to do? We're, we're going to have to. Legislature, legislature, legislature is where it's at. It's where it's at. I mean, legislation and policy change. Yeah, That is what we have change. to fight for. That is what we have to push. And we need more folks, more individuals who have been impacted by mm-hmm. the system to be the ones who are advocating for and even co-creating some of this, right, and not leaving it to other people to decide what should happen to us and for us. I often say in my restorative work, nothing about us without us is for us, right? And so we need to get involved in writing policy. We need to get involved in legislation. We can't afford to sit back and wait for it to be someone else's responsibility or on someone else's to-do list. Right? And to those of us who are people of faith, I would push even further and say we have a righteous obligation mm-hmm. to stand up and protect our, our, our community, protect our people. We can't afford to stand at the wayside and just wait for something else to happen to folks. And I think we have to really look at the criminal intent. I call it the criminal intent system because once you're in it, it, it does not let you go. Right, but hmm. when oh you're God. in that, like we need to look at um, how has that system has it even really served our people? Is it doing what it's claimed or professed to do? Is it reforming people? Is it restoring people? Is it rehabilitating people? Or is no. it causing more harm than good? And if it is, then what does it need? What does true justice, right? True restoration, true reform need to look like. And it doesn't look like what we currently have. We watch people come out of being in the carceral system, and not only can they not get jobs, not only are families broken, but we see mm-hmm. horrendous outcomes when it comes to mental health from being in that system mm-hmm. for so long. We, we know the statistics when it comes to solitary and confinement. So we don't even need to touch that, right? But we've seen health ailments come out. We've seen addiction come out. We have not seen people come out in the majority as restored or reformed or ready to be gainingful members of the economy, right? Like it, that's not what we're seeing. And so then what does need to happen? What does that look like? And how do we humanize people past their faults and their wrongs, and don't get me wrong, there have been some folks who have done some horrific things, but as a woman of faith, how we become judge and jury over someone's life, and I'm not saying that there does not need to be consequence. I'm not saying that there does not need to be reform or restoration. I'm saying we need to really examine what that looks like, and if currently what we have worked. When we talk about our sheriff's department, our sheriff's department derives from slave patrol, right? And our, mm-hmm. our current prison system doesn't operate very differently than that. Prisons Absolutely. give away free labor, right? They misuse, they beat the, the, the individuals who are in their care, right? And so as a community, I just feel like it's, it's a deeper conversation that needs to happen in education so that we can really start looking at what does policy around justice look like? What does policy look like around addressing when a harm or a crime has been committed against someone else? And is what we're doing working? Absolutely. I hate hate, hate to try to simplify what you just said, but sometimes you have to just follow the money. And uh, two places that operate only when they're filled, and that's schools and prisons. Uh, you know, that's why they continue to build schools. They continue to build prisons. Mm-hmm. And, they, and, and they won't make money unless they're filled. And that's sad, but that's the reality. And that's, that goes back to the prison, the pipeline, you know, the school, school system, the pipeline of prison. You know, mm-hmm. they, they are setting them up for, for a prison. And 
you know, the first mistake some individuals make, and I'm, and I'm, I'm in the system, so I'm, I'm telling you, it, it, it is so divisive. It is, it's, it is set up for failure for some, and it, it, it is a, a wake-up call for others. But they choose who to give the wake-up call to versus who they choose to put a block on their life. I've seen it, you know, and, and it's little systems such as, uh, I don't know, this, but you have a PTI system in Buffalo, uh, but it's a pretrial intervention. Uh, basically what it is, you, you commit a certain crime, of course, um, and, and they alert you, pay certain fees and do certain amount of community supervision hours, community service hours, and then mm-hmm. that individual cannot find that crime on your uh, rap sheet if they left for it after a certain period of time. And and that's given to select individuals. So and then you know you have some individuals that commit that exact same crime that's not given that opportunity. So the system is is severely broken. And I always say that individuals may go to prison and they are cracked, but they come out broken. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's different. You know, something that's cracked. You know, sometimes we can still work with that. All we do is seal it up a little bit here and put a little glue there. But when something's mm-hmm. cracked, and, and versus something that's broken. You know, when something's broken, you don't even know where to begin to put it back together. And a lot of individuals come out of the prison system, they're broken. Mm-hmm. And when you, you know, and it's designed to break you, it is designed to break the behavior that brought you there. It's not designed to break you as an individual. You know, if you break someone down and you tear them apart, but you don't give them the tools to build them back together, all you're doing is right. throwing the broken pieces back to the street. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's what the system does. You know, by mm-hmm. holding you in, in, in uh, solitary confinement, putting you in the system and allowing you to sit there for years without any bit of education, you know, and then they send you back to the street and say, fend for yourself. You know, that, that's, that's sending pieces of a person back to the streets and, and, and parts are still left in the prison. Mm-hmm. So you're not even sending the whole man or women back to the street. You're sending a piece of them. So, you know, we have a My long God. way to go when it comes to fixing individuals that are caught up in the system, even those that never actually go into the inside that just are sitting to provision and parole. You know, without tools, you, you, you don't know where to begin to build. That's right. That's right. You know, and one of the things that, that I see that that I think is a, a major flaw, too, um, a lot of things that go on in prison that people, when they get out, they don't even want to talk about. But mm-hmm. I think that we do them even more of a disservice by their the the mental health professionals that are there are for the ones that are already I guess have already been diagnosed with some mental issues. If I'm not mistaken, this is what I was told. Um, but as when people are are incarcerated like this, there needs to be some type of a system that is set up to where they can get mental help while they're there. They can go to counseling sessions. I mean. This just needs to be a part of the routine because just like you're saying, I mean, they're sending people back and they're broken, but you're not trying to repair them. And we, we have to start there because, I mean, there are so many things that they are exposed to. So, James, when you get people that are being released from jail and now they're coming into um, the probation and parole system, and I don't want to go too far into that because we are going to do a segment dealing with the probation and parole, but – from just from your background um, in mental health and being a counselor, I mean, you you are kind of like the exception to the rule because there may not every probation and parole um, officer may not even be versed in that. You know what I'm saying? So it would be a blessing, right. you know, when you were coming up in the ranks for someone to have you as that. I mean, because right now, I mean, I don't know if you actually. I, w- I would think that you probably wouldn't actually be that hands-on person. You have other people there. But, um, I mean, anybody who got you, it would have been a benefit. Like, how, how do you even begin to to help them address that? Because I know you've seen a lot of, of people that have just been torn to pieces coming out of there. It is, it is difficult in a sense if you don't have true compassion for what you're doing. If, you, if you're there and you say, I'm here because I want to provide for my family, I want to check, then, then you're already starting off wrong because you won't be able to help individuals when you're looking at what you make. You know, because when, you, when you're looking for your check and you compare what you do compared to what you get paid, you won't give the effort needed to, to help anyone. 
And I've seen that more than anything. I've seen individuals who come from, you know, all kind of backgrounds. I mean, they've, they've, they've majored in many different subjects other than criminal justice or mental health, anything. They've come from financial backgrounds, and now they're law enforcement agents. So they don't even have the mindset to help an individual because they are only still trying to find their own way. And when they deal with the individual, sometimes they're only dealing with them from their own life experience. And I want you to follow me here. If you if you come from a background where you never seen an individual sleep outside, or you never seen individuals sleep on the floor in their own home, or things of that nature, or you go into a home and there's no running water, or the kids are, are you know, uh, I'll say disheveled, and they're not, they don't they don't they don't appear mm-hmm. to be kept the way you were up kept. And, and, and it's, a, it's a it's a shock to a lot of the individuals who we have working with us. And they don't know where to begin because they don't have the right training to deal with certain individuals and their experiences in life. Because if I've never had any adversity in regards to my upbringing, and you come to me and you said, hey, my mom put me out at 16. I've been on my own since I was 16. And my mother, if I'm still on, if I'm working at probation and parole and I'm still on my parents' insurance, I have no idea what you're talking about. I can't relate. You follow me there? And, and, and that's some of what we deal with is you have a, and I'm not, you know, everyone wants a job and everyone wants to begin a career, but if I have a 23, 24-year-old individual trying to help a 55-year-old man, we're in two different worlds. We're in two different worlds. You know, you, have, you can't even relate to me, for one, uh, yet, let alone know what I've been through. And so what I've learned over the years is, Meet them where they're at, and then you help them grow. You know, you can't judge them from, mm-hmm. from, from, from how you meet them because you, you meet them as an individual who's violated the law. You, you see, you meet them right there. That's where you're meeting them. You know, everything about them you read before you actually met them. So they're already working their way backwards with you because you've already read on them before they had a chance to speak. And that happens in the court system. The court system already has a record of who you are before you walk in the door. So when you plead guilty or not guilty, most judges already have an opinion of what they feel about you. And if I could, in Buffalo, well, in Erie County and in several other facilities, um, because I get to talk to folks that are held all over the state, when we talk about mental health as a whole, it is definitely something that's neglected, and I think that that's across the board. Um, even when folks come in and self-disclose that there is a mental health concern, a lot of times they are not offered the treatment that they should be offered. And so if they're not dealing with the mental health issues that are being self-disclosed, then they are certainly not addressing or dealing with the mental health concerns that are arising due to being in that environment. And that is a whole nother problem within itself. Like I said, in, in Erie County, the second highest cause of death is medical neglect. Right now, if someone were in one of our facilities in our county and they were to say to a guard that they were suicidal, do you know they allow that guard 48 hours? before they even have to, at their own discretion, put that into a mental health professional? Wow. Wow. 48 hours, and then they still get to use their own discretion as to whether or not that is something that needs to be put through to the mental health professional that oversees the jail. There is nothing that mandates them that they must report that and that it must be reported immediately. Oh, Ooh, y'all. This is a extremely I mean, we, broken yeah. system. Go ahead, James. It's broken. We, we recently, well, it's, it's an active case here in Charleston. Um, the young man's name was uh, Jamal Southern. I don't know if you ever heard of that name or, or the case. But he his family placed him in a mental health facility here in Charleston a place that was designed to assist him with his mental health needs. They, they were there to – his family placed him there, so, I'm, so they paid for his, his, his well-being. They paid for his care. And mm-hmm. something happened at the facility where they believed he became violent. 
And the facility is called local law enforcement. So we already have a breakdown mm. there. The facility that's trained to deal <laughs> with mental health called the police. So the police came and they arrested him. So now we are having a breakdown now because we, we, the, the trained mental health professionals turned it over to local police who have minimal to no training. Uh, some, some law enforcement agencies require college degrees, while some don't. So it all depends on who coming to get you. And that law enforcement agency took him to a jail. So now here in Charleston, the jailers aren't even required to have college degrees. So you may have some high school graduates working there. And I'm not diminishing them because they only went to right. high school, but I'm just talking about the possible training that they had to deal with mental health, uh, individual mental health needs. Absolutely. So he got to that facility and never made it out. He died. Uh, they, actually, they, 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 they actually had an incident there, and they charged him with actually killing him. He died in, in, their, in their care. And what I'm, the reason I'm using that as an example is because look at the level of educational breakdown that happened from one place to the next. You went from a place that was equipped to deal with him, and you passed them on to, to individuals that don't know how to deal with him, to all, to all the way to individuals that have no idea what to do with him other than lock him away. So when they attempted to get him out to, to sound to come to a bond hearing, he refused because he didn't know what was going on. He was, he was confused. He was disoriented at the time. So they attempted to make him, force him to come to a bond hearing when in actuality you don't have to be present for a bond. A bond could be set in your absence. But they physically attempted to bring him to a bond here in which something happened during that process and he died. And so that, 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 that in itself is a tragedy because here in South Carolina, the largest place for mental health counseling is the prison. And there's, not, there's no counseling there, but that's where they put them because out of sight equals out of mind. And the only, the only person I have them in mind is the family. But everybody else says out of sight, out of mind, because that doesn't have anything to do with me because I no longer can see that individual. And, and how many times has community cried out and said law enforcement should not be handling mental health crises, right? Like that, that should, that's not what they're trained for. That's not what they're designed for. That's not what's in their job to do. Therefore, they should nope. not be doing it. And, again, this takes me back to the importance of policy, right? So right mm-hmm. now, Daniel's Law is a policy that is being pushed for, especially in New York State. And the whole purpose of that is to say we need to stop having law enforcement involved in mental mm-hmm. health crisis. That is not their place. We should have people who are trained, licensed, certified in mental health right. addressing things around mental health. And some jails and prisons have gone so far as to limit not only are they not providing counseling services or mental health services, but in, for instance, Erie County, they limit the number of clergy who can come in and offer counseling to their own parishioners. And so they can't even get spiritual counseling. And it's outrageous. It's outrageous. Well, I'll tell you what, if you definitely want to tear a person down, Put them in the prison system definitely will be it because here it is. You already have where people are already torn apart and not even realizing that they are struggling from childhood trauma. You know what I'm saying? That's causing them to respond and behave the way that they are behaving um, that could consequently cause them to end up being locked up. And then you get them in here in, in the prison system and, I mean, you just strip them of everything. You you make them feel like they are no longer human. I mean, this is just, and and I just hate to keep saying the same thing over and over again. But I mean, this this is just this is, ah huh, man, it's it's crazy. Um, and and so the how in the not world, even that. I'm sorry, but, but let me say this, and then I'll you know give it give it to you, Denise. But how in the world can you expect the person? to walk away from being incarcerated and to not have some mental issues. It is not possible. It's not possible. And so are we really trying to prepare them to come back out in society to be a productive part of society? Absolutely not. We're training them to bring them right back to make that circle 
to go right back into the system. Go ahead. And I think it goes back to what was said. It goes back to what was said earlier, right? Like prisons have been privatized. It is a profit structure. It Mm -hmm. brings money into states and counties and cities. And so, therefore, it's funny because a few years ago I challenged myself because. You know, we we were we, we can be such in the habit of saying like the system is broken, the system is broken, the system is broken. And Tyra, you you are very familiar with me, and I'm an extremely optimistic person. But I challenge myself to look at the system and say, is it broken, or does it operate the way that it was designed to operate, and does it serve mm. those oh that it was designed to serve, and does it fail those <laughs> that it was designed to fail? So I believe that it's very intentional. I believe that it's by design. I don't believe it's broken. I believe it operates exactly how it was designed to operate, and it must operate that way because if it doesn't continue breaking people, then what happens financially to our government that benefits so highly off of this complex, right? And so, again, for me it comes down to really educating and equipping our folks and helping them to understand the power of their voice, the power of their vote, the power of getting involved in policy. I I was never a political person, right? I grew up in the hood, grew up in the projects, right? Um, and and it's there are just certain things about growing up that way that you notice and you pay attention to. And I've always naturally been headstrong and of a rebellious nature because I don't like when things aren't right or seen as fair, right? And I noticed a lot of that in our community of what wasn't right and wasn't fair, but nobody had a problem judging. Nobody had a problem I watched out of their homes, right? And nobody was addressing the needs, but everybody had shamed and dehumanized an entire community of people. And then I asked, well, who benefits from this happening? And that's who benefits. That's who benefits. They break people down enough and you push people into corners, and then when they respond, right? Like I talked to so many young people. One of my children, um, who is my adoptive son, I met him when he was 12 years old. This young man was couch surfing from house to house to house. Nobody was being 12 years old. Nobody being responsible to take care of him. My son very likely, especially in Buffalo, where one in three black men end up incarcerated and never finishing high school, right, could have been one of these young people that end up in juvenile detention that go from being a youth in detention to an adult in the criminal system, the criminal detention mm-hmm. system, and why? Not because he intended, but life, as also was pointed out earlier, the school to prison continuum, right? Like life had set him up to be on that trajectory. I'm grateful for the grace on his life and that God put me in his life. But think about how many young people are growing up without guidance, mm-hmm. without nurturing, without direction. And instead of the schools investing in these children, instead they suspend and they expel them at record numbers till eventually mm-hmm. they give up. And now they're the young people that are hanging out in the streets. And then what do the streets tell them? We got you. We love you. Come on over here. And then society shames and blames them. Mm-hmm. And granted, we all make choices, right? But we have to think about the maturity of the mind at that stage <laughs> in life. I have so many folks around me who have been incarcerated since they were in their teen years, and they served 28, 37 years in prison. How can (laughs) someone at 14, 15 years old make a decision that cost them 30 years of their life? It's it's it's, it's it's, It's outrageous. And the fact that we have allowed this to continue, and I'm not saying like we do it intentionally, but we have to realize that we all have a stake in it. Right. It doesn't benefit any of us for it to operate this way. And then what is our part in ensuring that we are doing our due diligence to humanize 
and look out for these individuals, even if they've done something we don't like or don't agree with or was harmful. And, of course, that is my restorative <laughs> that is my restorative <laughs> mindset. But I, I don't believe anybody is beyond restoration. And even in the event that someone gets to a place where we can't necessarily guide them back, then how are we still radically loving on them and ensuring that they are as well as they can be until the creator decides it's time for them to come home? Right? Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. I just don't believe we get to decide people are beyond redemption. We don't. And uh, go back to what you said about the, the, the growing up in the projects and things of that nature. Now, when I counseled individuals at first, when they were, were first released from, from, from prison or jail, you know, we always used to talk about the window theory. You know, that's something I came up with. So the window theory, so when you look out your window growing up, what did you see? You know, mm-hmm. you, you grow up and you look out the window and you see individuals standing on the corner or you see broken bottles, broken down cars versus an individual who looks out the window and they may see green grass and they, they know about HOA fees and, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, more than one car, garages and things of that nature. Versus the individual who may who been grown up in projects in, in, in a place where in, where they where they where the government says okay we're taking care of you and we're we're giving you low rent so we're going to put you in a place that's barely livable, and then what was so uh, crazy about the system is it is even the project is designed to break up families because a lot of times they want to keep an individual a mother there who's single they want the mother to be single and they they can't have a man living here. Uh, individuals who have uh, criminal records, they can't live there. You know, when we try to house these individuals once they are released, saying individuals sentenced to prison, and when he comes out, he, he, he wants to live with his mother. But his mother lives on section in housing. He can't live there. Because the government will allow her to have an individual with a criminal record living there. And it was, it was so ironic is, it's ironic about the situation is when they're in prison, they are taken care of by the government. But when you're released, the government has, wants nothing to do with you other than to know you're not living on a property in which they have an investment. And so, you know, when, when, you, got, when you grow up, it's all about sometimes what you see. I mean, Denise, she grew up on the project, but she was able to visualize herself in a better situation. You have individuals that never can see past their reality. You know, if I look out the window, my reality is a broken down car or, or people standing on the corner or the walls in my home are painted gray. So that already affects my emotion, you see? So they got the gray painted walls inside the project so that they affect emotion and they keep you down as almost a depressive color in order to suppress emotion. People don't even look at minimal things like that. There's no color there. Everything is the same. And the design similar to a, a prison. If you ever go to a prison, the walls are gray. And so they keep you with a monotone thought process, very minimal, not high thinking. It's very low, low-level thinking, and you stay on the surface. Don't think past your reality. That means most people never seen what's outside of the project, other than school. They go to school, and then they come home. You know, they balance meals sometimes at school, you know, and then right. they'll say, well, hey, you, you can't make it in this world. Well, you, they were never given the opportunity because they don't know anything outside of what they've seen. And right. that's the reality for a lot of individuals who've been incarcerated that I ran across is because they don't know how to make it. And I always said it, you know, we use the term in the in African African American community, hustle. So we are putting ourselves behind the eight when we say we're hustling. You know, because even mm-hmm. if a hustle is, hey, it's something outside of my nine to five for uh, for another individual, that hustle means I'm going to get it by any means necessary. So now we take the Malcolm X words and using it in <laughs> the context of doing what I got to do to to survive. When when reality is, you know, if, if someone doesn't teach you, you know, how to make it in this world, you're only going by what you think you know. And I use the term think you know because you really don't know. So, you know, uh, crimes are being committed in every walk of life, but it's just a matter of what, Offends those who enforce the law. You, you see what I'm saying there? I mean, it's, yes. it's committed in every facet of life, but it only affects those who who enforce the law. I've seen individuals that were pulled over doing the exact same thing, but one is released and one is arrested. But mm-hmm. it's all based on who pulls you over, you know. And I just ran into an incident. I don't want to. I guess I don't want to go too far because they're going to go into it another time. 
But right. in my experience, I've seen where an individual was being mistreated, and I ended up being in a situation and listening with a different ear, and we came up with a different result. And then they, the officer came back and thanked me. I said, this is what they wanted to do. Because if you didn't come in there, I was going to do this, this, and this. And I was like, well, that, wow. that wasn't called for because you weren't giving him a chance to respond in the way he wanted to respond. You wanted to dictate the way he should respond. <laughs> and in, in that situation, your life was never in danger, so you should have allowed him the chance to speak as well. And so things like that affect mm-hmm. the whole outcome of a situation. You know, because when you come into a situation and you, you try to enforce power, because law enforcement mm-hmm. says, you know, I'm power, but I, I don't have power over you. I have the power to enforce the law. That means neither the two of us can break it. Me as a police can't break it, and you That's as an right. individual can't break it. So we That's both right. are here as law-abiding citizens. And the police sometimes forget that. That's the part that they forget. They forget mm-hmm. that, you know, they forget that they are police. They forget when they are police anymore. And, and police always want to police. And that's that's part of the system. And like we said earlier, it's not broken. You're right. It's designed to work for those who are designed <laughs> to work for. And it's designed right. to keep those uh, in line, I would say, the way mm-hmm. they hopefully intended it to work. But it is, it is causing massive failure throughout the world because it's causing massive mental health issues on individuals mm-hmm. who may have not suffered from certain mental health issues, but a lot of individuals come out with anxiety. You know, let's use anxiety, right. for example. You know, someone comes out with anxiety, they don't understand anxiety is a mental health issue. That Absolutely. can cause major stress in your life. Absolutely. You know, that causes you not to trust. That causes you not to be able to function. But it's so, you know, you don't, you know, a lot of men don't want to admit that I'm nervous or anxious about something because it shows a sign of what? Weakness. And mm-hmm. now we have a battle within ourselves, manhood versus anxiety. So we choose manhood, and we hide anxiety. So we hide it behind anger. We hide it behind uh, frustration. We hide it behind jumping from relationship to relationship, having children. Mm-hmm. We do so many different things in order to function. We jump from bed to bed in order to keep a roof over their head. You, you, you see, they don't do it because they're trying to have a lot of women. They're trying to find some way to stay. And if, it, if, it, if it's pretending to love you in order to stay, that's what they do. But they don't, you know, so we can go so many ways with this mental health thing once these individuals are released, you know, because so so much things happen. It has, it has such a rippling effect mm-hmm. on our community. It's not just the individual that, that's suffering from it, but it's, that, it's those that he hurts or she hurts in the mm-hmm. midst of being untreated. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know what? <laughs> and I, I kind of said I wasn't going to say this, but I am. <laughs> You know, we have to go back to the whole foundation, and we got to go back to the foundation of America because we're expecting the country to tell us how a legal system, a justice system, is supposed to operate from a system that started out with stealing from the beginning. Everything about America was built on the backs of others. It was built from a slave a slave mindset, you manipulating people to steal their land. You know, you're you're talking to people and bringing people from other places to actually to work to build America. So when you talk about the foundation, man, the foundation is broken. And so what we have here Unfortunately, we shouldn't be surprised, but when you get into the nitty-gritty and just listening to the things that both of you have said, I mean, it does cause you to kind of be shocked, stunned, hurt. I mean, I'm feeling so many emotions right now um, that after this, I'm just going to have to, I'm going to have to sit and just try to pull it together because, you know, Man, this this is just it's it's very disheartening. Um and no one person has all the answers, but together we 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 can pull it together. Um wow. I'm going to give you a, a couple of minutes uh Denise to give us something to close on. Um this this hour has went by uh really fast. Um 
extremely fast. So if you want to, um, gosh, if you want to let them know how to find out more about your organization um, that you work for, Denise, um, you know, give them that information or whatever you want to give the listeners to think about because um, next week we're going to continue the conversation um, and we're going to begin to start breaking down some different components of dealing with the prison system. Thank you again, Tyra, and thank you just so much for um, shedding light on and unpacking this um, and allowing us to be part of that process with you. And really, all I, I want to give to people is this. Um, ask yourself who do you love and how they're impacted by the things that we've discussed today. And then what do you feel like your role could look like in bringing change to that? Connect with a racial equity and justice organization in your community um, and be, be the leader that you waited for. Be the leader that you waited for and create the change that you want to see. Um, if anybody would like to contact me, please look at Voice's website, uh, voicebuffalo.org, or email me, denise at voicebuffalo.org. I'd love to have a conversation or help connect you wherever you are in the nation um, to folks in your area that are doing this. And just, I know this is a hard topic, but the fact that we even have the ability to have this conversation and unpack this tells me that there is hope. And so hold on to your hope, hold on to your peace, and nothing about us without us is for us. So let's be part of the change. Thank you. Man, Mr. Bingley. Wow, that's a tough, that's tough to follow. That was very good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> to be honest, I mean, to, to piggyback what you said, I mean, there's, every day there's hope. It may not seem so, but there, there's hope. And I know every day that we get up, each of us, we put on a mask, and we get ready for our day no matter what we have planned. Some of us never leave home without it. You know, but putting on a mask only covers up the, the, the true issues because we're really hiding from ourselves, and we need to take off the mask not only so that others can see, so that we can see, you know, the, the, the injustice that's taking place. And for those who, who are listening that may have been affected by this injustice, know that that's not the end. That's only a, a crossroad in your life that mm-hmm. you have to get through. And you're not alone. There, there's help out there. It may not seem like there's help. And yet they, you may run into individuals that appear not to care. But it's not always up to them to reveal to you how to get out of your situation. So sometimes you have to just keep seeking out resources until you run into the one that's most comfortable for you. Don't give up just because the one you ran into first didn't give you the results you were looking for. And that goes to individuals who deal with mental health and who have been incarcerated or who have not been incarcerated. That can deal with anybody, any individual that's around, even myself, because just because you appear to have it together don't mean you have it together. And, and we talked about earlier about the system not being broken, how it's designed to work, the way it's working. Just because the system is designed to set up that way don't mean we can't change it. And brick by brick, we can begin to change it, especially with forms like this. And I thank you for allowing me to be part of this form because this is a part of change. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I'm going to leave you with this. Um, You know, I know this is the designated time frame that has been given to celebrate black history, but black history is 365 days of the year. But I will leave you with this, and this is a quote that stands true today, and it is a shame that we still have to do this, but I will say this. Do, please do not wait until prison hits your doorstep via a family member, your child, you yourself, before you begin to want to get involved and to be a part of change or to see that change needs to happen Open your eyes, open your heart. Don't shut it down. Don't look at these people as if they are not human because they are. But I will leave you with this, and this is Martin Luther King. Injustice 
anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. I'm Tyra Little. I'm your host of Pressure Points Unpacked Podcast. Please join us back next week as we continue the conversation. We're going to begin to, for this month, we're going to begin to break down the prison system. Um, As I always ask you, please call in. If you don't want to call in, you can shoot me a text, send a message. Um, I'm on Facebook. Pressure Points Unpacked is on Facebook, Instagram. There's ways that you can message. You can actually even go to Pressure Points Unpacked podcast.com and you can actually leave a voice message there as well so see you next Tuesday it's already Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.